You're listening to Spirited Spirits, a spooky-centric podcast where we enjoy a spirit while we talk about spirits. I'm Steph. And I'm Drew. Thanks for joining us. Yes, and I'm so excited to talk about tonight's topic. It's something that has fascinated me since I first found out about it because it is a hotbed of paranormal activity. That's right. We are talking about um, poltergeist activity. We're talking portals. We're talking at UFOs. Um, and then Skinwalkers. That's right. Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> oh, Skywalker Ranch. I love Star Wars. Uh -huh, very funny. This is not the one that George Lucas owns. No. We're not talking Star Wars. <laughs> although, there's definitely, like I said, UFO, spacecrafts, otherworldly activity. Yeah, this sounds like a smorgasbord of like just paranormal activity like it's like one-stop shop for everything it's like yeah. your, it's like your walmart of paranormal activity <laughs> that's right it's like you just go there and you can find everything so before we actually dive into the topic let's let people know what we're drinking yeah so tonight we're drinking a cocktail called the bee's knees which isn't our typical spooky cocktail um but we chose it because utah is known as the beehive state because it's a, it's a leading producer of honey Mm -hmm. So the bee's knees is made with gin, lemon juice, and honey syrup. If you want to give it a try, you can find the recipe in a photo on our Instagram at spirited underscore spirits underscore podcast. Yes. And, you know, I've been wanting to try it. It sounded mm -hmm. good. I, yeah. Um, I'm always looking on Instagram for cocktails, and this one had popped up. And you know, like you said, it's not spooky, but... Um, it's actually really nice. I think it's it's tart. It kind of reminds me of a lemon head drop or whatever. Those lemon drops. Lemon head. Yeah, it's a little, yeah, like you said, it's tart. I think now that we've tasted it, and I've tasted a couple, like, couple of sips, I think maybe a little bit more of the honey syrup would probably be sufficient. So, yeah. you know, you look at the recipe on our Instagram, you want to add a little bit more of that. Um, depending, I like it may be a little bit more sweeter. And it's funny for me to say that because I usually just don't like yeah, sweet stuff. Yeah, you don't stuff. like sweet cocktails. But I think... I think because due to the fact that the lemon is so tart, you gotta yeah. have a little bit of sweetness to cut it. I get that. I get that. So you could add a little bit more to yours if you'd like, babe. Yeah, I'll be fine. Okay. So let's get started. For those who don't know, Skinwalker Ranch is a 512-acre property in southeast Ballard, Utah. It borders the Uinta and Uray, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Uray Indian Reservations in West Uinta County. The ranch is purportedly a site for a variety of paranormal phenomena, just like I said. There's cattle mutilations and disappearances, sightings of strange creatures, poltergeists or trickster activity. Um, there's uh, reports of unidentified flying objects, um, glowing orbs, unexplainable magnetic fields that are thought to be portals to another dimension. That's a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it is a lot. <laughs> that's because it's not like, like one specific thing. Like, okay, like this is a hotbed for UFO activity. We're talking about, this has like a laundry list of very like specific, but also like a large list of activity, you know, Discussed. Yes. Well, and that's why it is um, studied by the government at one point. Of course it is. But I'll get to that later. So the ranch gets its name from a Navajo legend of the Skinwalker, a vengeful witch that can shapeshift into an animal. These are not to be confused with medicine men or women who do good and try to help people. Witches are corrupt individuals that seek to do evil and hurt people. 
Navajo people are often hesitant to discuss skinwalker lore, fearful that even mentioning the name could cause trouble. Legend says the land where the ranch now resides was cursed and a skinwalker roams the land. Well, that sucks because I think there's like numerous podcasts and documentaries and books that have all <laughs> like said skinwalker. So maybe the number of times that skinwalker has been stated in mm-hmm. any type of media has caused an, the um, amount of paranormal activity could to be. increase. Yeah, it could be. Um, in fact, there's um, something I wanted to read from the book here. Um, I think it's, uh, let me double check. So I'm a lot of my research, I should say here, a lot of my research comes from the book Hunt for the Skinwalker. Science confronts the unexplained at a remote ranch in Utah. This is written by Colm A. Kelleher, PhD, and George Knapp. Um, they actually worked with um, Robert Bigelow, who I'm, I'm going to get into that, um, to do the research, um, scientific research on this ranch. And so it's a really fascinating book. I also watched the documentary Hunt for the, for the Skinwalker on Hulu. It's available on there. Um, and I've listened to multiple podcasts and read articles. So, um, it's really interesting. It really, truly is. Uh, and the book is great. I've enjoyed reading it very much. Um, I did want to talk a little bit more. I didn't want to go too much into it, but, um, I did want to say that in the American Southwest, the Navajo, Hopi, Ute, and other tribes each have their own version of the Skinwalker story. So I'm reading directly from, um, page 35 of the book here. Um, and it's not just the, the skinwalker can transform into several different creatures. It could be a wolf, coyote, bear, bird, anything. And it uses that power from the animal to, to do what it needs to do. Okay. Um, there, so, there's also, so, it's a, so in D and D would be a druid. Um, yeah. Cause I guess they can transform. <laughs> they can, yeah, they can wild shape. Sorry, nerding out. <laughs> well, it's also, um, I had read in here where they also have some mind control. Like they mm-hmm. they have the ability like to... Like telekinesis? Or like, yeah. Okay. So they wondered if, if the skinwalker is um, what's causing this weird activity on the ranch. Could it be the trickster element, this poltergeist mm-hmm. where it's, it's doing things? You said mind things. control. I said, like, like, you said mind control. Are you talking about controlling other people's minds or controlling... Yeah, those... like um, have the ability to... Yeah, well... And or to make them stuff. think that they see things. Oh, okay. That's not telekinesis. Never mind. Telekinesis would be well, like moving be, stuff. Well, it could be that too. I don't know. I mean, again, Native Americans are reluctant to talk about this. Right. So um, a lot of... Which what, probably is a good... Like, I understand, I understanding why... Right. They're fearful of it. Because, um, I mean, they, you know, truly believe in this. Mm-hmm. So... Um, this it's important to note this area it has a history of supernatural happenings reports of ufos in the uinta basin date back to the 1970s but the first major publicity about paranormal activity on the ranch was covered by the salt lake city newspaper the deseret news in 1996 after owners terry and gwen sherman spoke to reporters about the terrifying incidents happening on their property now, Terry and Gwynn purchased the property in 1994 with the hopes of starting a cattle ranch. Um, and I did want to say that in the book, Hunt for the Skinwalker, they are actually referred to as the Gormans, Tom and Ellen Gorman, rather than, than Terry and Gwynn. But since the book came out and um, with all the publicity that's happened with this um, story, they have since come out with their real names, but they were reluctant to do so 
And so the authors of the book wanted to keep their anonymity and they changed their names to protect them at that time. So that's why the book refers to them as the Gormans. Okay. Okay. So, so why did they, so why did they decide to come out? I don't know. I don't, I don't know uh, fully why they decided to. I think just because at that point, I think because I, well, I don't know. I can't speak for them. But I suspect it's because um, the government was starting to research this stuff. And so there was kind of some credibility there. Okay. You know, think about it. If they had first come out with it and said all this stuff happened and used their real names, they could have been laughed out of town. Right. Um, But after they had sold the property and... They were attached to it. Right. I think then they felt maybe more comfortable doing so. But I don't know. I can't speak for them. Okay. So um, in the book... It's Tom and Ellen, husband and wife. Tad is their son. Kate is their daughter. And Ed is Tom's father. So they're the ones that are on the ranch. Um, At least Tom's father helps with the ranch. So one of the first incidents that happened when they first had moved onto the property, and they they hadn't even fully brought all of their, um, their, uh, like I said, this was supposed to be a cattle ranch. So they hadn't even brought all of their cattle yet. onto the property and they see this I think that they had just unloaded their their prize Angus calves okay in the corral okay they see this large gray wolf with these piercing blue eyes okay and this thing just casually walks up to them doesn't act afraid of them at all and so they're like, okay, this is really interesting. Did they, um, did they pet it? <laughs> there are some reports that, that it allowed them to to it allowed them to pet it. So how big was this thing? Okay, that's what's really fascinating. They said this thing was huge, larger than a typical wolf. Okay. And when they were asked later to identify it, mm-hmm. it ended up. They said that it ended up looking more like a dire wolf. Oh hell yeah, Game of Thrones. But you know, dire wolves really did exist, but they're extinct now. Right. Okay. So they had just unloaded their calves, right? And then this wolf comes up. And so they're actually like, oh my gosh, there's a wolf coming up. We have to protect our prized cattle. Right. Right? Yeah. So the one of the calves, I guess, had like kind of stuck its head out of the the gate, like the um where they had it in the corral. Like yeah, the enclosure. Yes. And the wolf darted right at it, grabbed it, and it put its jaws over on the head of the calf. That's a little traumatic. Yes. And Tom started trying to kick the wolf because he didn't have his weapon on on him right then and there. So he's trying to kick it in the ribs. It's not responding. It's not acting. It's not like it's not being bothered at all by being kicked by this grown man. So he yells for his son and he's like, get me my gun, get me my gun. Ed, in the meantime, Tom's father, is trying to use a baseball bat that he happened to have, I guess, close by. And he's beating the wolf. So Tom yells for his son to grab his gun. And Tad comes out with his father's handgun. Okay? Okay. So he gives it to, to his dad. Tom, Tom, the dad, shoots the wolf in the ribs. No effect. It doesn't yelp. It doesn't respond, doesn't cry out, nothing. doesn't even release the calf. Is okay? the calf dead at this point? No, but it's injured. It's, it's, I feel like you know, it it's, have, being, it's being kind of... I feel like they would be dead at this point, but it was, it was just not. The so Tom shot it twice 
more in the upper abdomen. On the third shot, the wolf reluctantly released the calf. And Tom was shocked that the animal was not badly injured or dead. I mean, it appeared to, it wasn't even bleeding, it, it, allegedly. Um, Interesting. So it backed off a bit, but still showed no signs of distress. So Tom asked for his 30 aught six, and Tad returned with his father's firearm. Tom took aim and shot the wolf. Now this was a gun that allegedly could take down elk. 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 Yeah. Elk. Elk. It could take an elk. <laughs> it could take down elk. Right. Um, so this was like a this was a gun that could do take some down, real damage. Uh, take Should down be a, able to an, take an, down an a wolf. animal that was that big. Right. Yeah. Um, but he shot at the wolf and from 40 feet away. He hit it in the shoulder, but again, it seemed unfazed. So how, so how many times has he shot it now? So this was, that was three and then four. So he, she shot this. Then he shot again. So that makes five. So he shot this motherfucker five times. And he said that a sizable <laughs> chunk of its flesh flew off. Like he could see that he, he got it and the chunk of flesh came off. I mean, okay? I know these are your prize cattle by this point. I think you need to call that calf a loss and, <laughs> and, and probably move at this point. So the wolf made no sound at all, but it turned and retreated. Hmm. So needless to say, the family was pretty spooked. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tom and Tad actually tried to go after the wolf. Yeah, because it's gonna it's gonna come back. It's gonna come back and get right. the cattle. So they tried to go after it, but it disappeared into the tree line. They followed its tracks, but then the track stopped as if the wolf had just vanished into thin air. So something important to note here: the Gormans had just moved to Utah from New Mexico. They lived in a small town in in New Mexico, and like I said, they wanted a place where they could um, raise their their prized cattle. Right. Okay. So um, they um, they were members of the LDS Church, Mormon Church, mm-hmm. um, and there was a community there of Mormons in the area. Yeah, so they th- it was a perfect. Um, perfect place for them. There was right. a small ranch house on the property, and um, when they moved in, they noticed something really interesting. Every door had several large, heavy-duty deadbolts, both on the inside and the outside. Hold oh, on, that's weird. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah, <laughs> windows were bolted from the previous owners. Also, chains were on either end of the home for guard dogs. Apparently, the previous owners had had guard dogs chained up see that wasn't on that wasn't on the zillow <laughs> that wasn't on the zillow listing <laughs> that wasn't on the zillow <laughs> listing see that that's why you got to check with your realtor and see if there was anything like that needs to be disclosed yeah. you know yeah that wasn't disclosed <laughs> so another strange thing a strange clause that was in the real estate contract <laughs> No digging on the land without prior warning to the previous owners. Okay. I mean, so, I, would, I would understand if it was like, you know, no digging unless you call like that. What was it? Like 8811 eight, eight or whatever it's called. Like to see if there's like lines. <laughs> like if there's like, you know, gas lines or something like that on the property. So the previous owners had put in the clause. There was a clause in the contract saying no digging without alerting them first. And so the Gormans, or Shermans, um, actually thought that they, they were just kind of these kooky older people that just had a weird random clause. So they just didn't, they didn't really like take much heed in it, okay? I mean, I would, I would question that. 
a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So some other weird things started happening. Um, Ellen, or at least she's referred to Ellen in the book, um, started noticing that things were being moved around. Okay? So there would be... She would put something down in the kitchen, like kitchen utensils, okay. and she would find it in strange places. Things would go missing, and then she would find them later in a strange location. Um, she actually, at one point, I believe, bringed her. she brought her groceries in, put them all up, and then ended up, she went out of the kitchen, came back in, and all the groceries back in the bags again. Something weird like that, that it happened. Did she lose time? Well, so she thought she was going crazy. She was like, I'm, my memory, she's like, I swore I put all these groceries up. Like, she, she's just, she's thinking that she's losing it. Like, that she's just right. forgetful or, or, yes. So, she also wondered if her children were pranking her. She thought, well, maybe they're just messing with me. Okay. But mm-hmm. one night, hold on. One night, Tom stormed in. And he wanted to know where his post digger was. So he claimed that he had left this 70-pound post digger on the ground when he went to go grab a wrench from his truck. And when he returned to find the digger missing, or when he returned, he found the digger missing. He was angry because he wanted to mend a fence and he was trying to get it done before dark. Okay. And he thought, again, someone had moved it. Like someone who was messing with him. The kids were pranking him. So he came storming in, yelling at Ellen and the kids. And she was like, we haven't been outside. So they all went to go help him look for it. But they couldn't find it. Then his pliers went missing. Okay, but is that is that a paranormal issue or is that just a forgetful asshole? No. Like, I mean, because like, yeah. that's, my, that's my thought. Like, I mean, and... These happen. These things happen over and over again. Seriously, and it's just them being forgetful. I don't. I mean, okay. I I'm not saying that this place is not like a paranormal hotspot, but I, I'm. If I forget to put like my tools somewhere, is that paranormal? Or is a that seventy much... pound post sticker. That's the I man. How do you just forget where you put that? I mean, I'm just saying. Okay, all I'm saying is <laughs> I have to take what they say right. at I face know. value. I, I know what you're saying. And once the, these things started happening to Tom, Ellen realized it wasn't just her. Okay. So she confides in him. Okay. Going back real quick to the wolf. The wolf was taking the post digger. No. He wants to dig posts. <laughs> so there were neighbors who actually commented that they had seen large wolves in the land. Like in that area. How far? How far are the neighbors? Do you know? Uh, well, if it's a four hundred or no, sorry, five hundred twelve acre property, right? What it's did pretty, I say? Pretty damn far. <laughs> it's it's a big property. Right. So yeah, your neighbors aren't going to be that close. Right. They wanted they deliberately bought this land because they wanted the privacy so that they have plenty of land for their cattle and there's several different homesteads on the property as well. Okay. But so the Gorman said, oh yeah. Or they, the Gormans were relieved to hear that the neighbors had seen these large wolves on the land as well. So it wasn't just them. Okay. Okay. Um, and something else I wanted to say is at one point, um, Ellen actually goes to the, um, she wonders if the wolves are like um, domesticated in some way because of the way that it had acted, how it came up to them. 
And so she goes to the Native Americans, um, like, council. Okay. Like, their um, tribal... Like, tribal leaders? Yes. Okay. And she's like, do you all have these wol- domesticated wolves? Like, she was actually <laughs> kind of... Wolves. She was actually <laughs> kind of frustrated because she's thinking, oh, my gosh, if someone has these wolves and they're just letting them roam freely, right. and we have cattle now that we're trying to raise... And so um, they're like, ma'am, we, there hasn't been wolves. There have not been wolves in these lands for some time. Okay. So all that to say, um, we don't know where they came from. Um, So another interesting thing. So we've got the wolves or wolf that had come and attacked Right. Okay. As, as far as we know, there's like one, but there could be multiple. There could be more because the neighbors have seen more. Right. Then we've got the weird activity in the house and around the property where things are going missing. Okay. And they're they're either disappearing completely or they're finding them later. Okay. Okay. So then one night, um, so, oh, okay, Tom's nephew, Dave, came to visit them. And Dave was a city boy. Apparently, Tom wanted to like introduce him to the ranch lifestyle and he knew, apparently Dave was afraid of the dark. Not sure why. Um, but Tom decided that he wanted to take Dave out and kind of like man him up, I guess. Like, you're going to not be afraid of the dark anymore, kid. We're going to go walk in the property. When did this take place again? In the 90s. You're not watching Are You Afraid of the Dark to help with that? <laughs> anyway. I mean, that's how you fix that. Okay. So Dave and um, Tad and... Tom are out walking the ranch. Okay. Okay. And Tom, which one's afraid of the dark again? Dave. Dave. Dave's the nephew. Okay. Tad is Tom's son. Okay. okay. So I, I, you know, again, going into my like LCSW, I was like, I, know I was like, I need a genogram to figure out all these people's names. Like, sorry. Okay. So Dave is the one afraid of the dark. He's the nephew. Okay. So they're out walking the property. Tom, who's the right. father. Right. Um, spies lights on his property and he thought it was someone who was in an RV and he was trust, they were trespassing on his property. See, apparently he had seen lights and RV like vehicles on his property before. Okay. And he thought someone had trust was trespassing there. A lot of times, I guess they would have hunters potentially trying to hunt on their property. And so they decided to try and chase down the alleged RV. But what they soon discovered, it was not an RV. It was a, what they called a oblong object, like a refrigerator shape, with white headlights in the front and a red taillight in the back. The object floated over the fences and then it went above the tree line, which was about 50 feet. Over the property. This, so this object, so they, again, they think this is an RV. They think it's just like traveling down the road. Once they got closer after chasing it, they realized it's actually floating. Do you know what they were chasing them on? Like, I mean, if they were, like, were they on foot or were they? It was on the property. Yes. Yes. They were on foot. Okay. Yes. They were on foot. So. Okay. So, I know. Do you know how close they were, they got to it? Um, Did it say yes. how close? Yes. Let me see if I can find that in the book real quick. Um, my thought they got pretty is, close to it, babe. Yeah, because my thought process is like, how close are you? Is this? And I'm not, and I'm not discounting their thing. I just want to know like exactly what they're 
what they're viewing here because I mean, I feel like it could be anything. It could, I mean, if you feel like it's an RV, it could be like an Airstream type of deal. Like, is that what it is? An Airstream? Like, that, it's an RV, right? Like, like not an RV, but like a thing you like, like I don't know, like you, you put it behind your truck. So, okay, here's what it says. I'm going to read directly from page 30. Okay. When they were about 200 yards away, the RV started moving away from them. Tom was momentarily puzzled. How could it have seen them? Perhaps the trespassers had night vision equipment. Gorman thought to himself, he, he and the boys broke into an easy jog. He did not want this idiot to start breaking fence lines as the RV tried to escape. The headlamp in front and the red light behind were moving very smoothly now. Tom wondered why the vehicle was now not bouncing over the ruts. Suddenly, the lights from the object seemed to rise a few feet from the ground. Okay. Gorman's brow puckered. What's going on? Tad muttered. So this thing begins to lift, like lift up and start hovering above. It's moving a few feet off of the ground. Okay. Then it goes over the fence, and then they watch it as it goes over the tree line. Okay, so they're close enough to where they're they're watching this thing. They like, said it's ascend still in the air. Okay. Yeah, it's Got still it. about two hundred yards in front of them. That seems far. I mean, it does, but they were able like two hundred yards. I mean. They said it was no RV. The object was roughly oblong, shaped like a large refrigerator with a headlight in front and a red light behind. All three watched in complete silence as the object slowly disappeared over the trees in the distance. It was flying smoothly and slowly, almost casually. There was no sound. Mm. Okay. So, um, yeah, so they had no idea what it could be. And then one night, Tom and Ellen were out for a hike. They liked to hike their property at night. Oh, yeah, okay. And they again saw the object. They're haunted, you know. They're haunted. They, well, I mean, at that point, there was just some weird stuff going on. So there's all the silver, like, oblong refrigerator-looking mm -hmm. thing again. Yes. Okay. Okay, so another weird craft they found on their property. Um, Tom saw an aircraft that reminded him of a smaller version of an F-117 or B-2. It was 30 or 40 feet long, black in color, silent and still. It was 20 feet off the ground. Multicolored lights okay. were underneath it. And it was like shining on the ground. You could see the multiple colors. It was moving slowly along the ridge as if looking for something, like it was searching for something. Then Ellen saw what she thought was probably the same object. It was a large black triangular object hovering about 20 to 30 feet off the ground. Kind of, are we talking about kind of like the thing that was seen in, oh shit, what city was it again? I don't know. I'm losing my brain. Is it the Phoenix Lights or something? I think the Phoenix Lights, yeah. I don't, this, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. But I just know it's a large black triangular object with the multicolored lights underneath that right. kind of like shone down from the, onto the ground. And, um, so... Both Tom and Ellen saw that. Then Ellen, again, saw the RV-shaped object. Again, she thought it was an RV. Right. Then she, as she realized, I guess she was, like, on the property, and this thing was, like, close enough. It was out in the field. Okay. And she was like, okay, what is this? When she thought it was an RV, she could see inside. There was, like, a window. She said there was a dark figure inside. And she called Tom because she was so scared. She was like, you've got to get home. Now, Tom had actually gone. He had um, some business he had to do off the property. And so he had traveled. 
and um, was, was supposed to be gone that night, but she called him. She was terrified. She was like, you have to get home now. And he was a few hours away. So he actually raced home that night, in the middle of the night, to get to her. Well, okay. of course, because it took several hours to actually physically get back home, right. um, the thing was gone by the time he actually got there. But what they did find was huge footprints in the mud around the... where the object had been. What? They found 18-inch long footprints out in the field where this object had been. What is happening in so, this ranch? Like, yeah. Jesus. I mean... So it's like implied <laughs> that this figure that she saw through the window, this dark figure... That's 18-foot May have been walking around, around. Right. <laughs> and he may have been walking around the property. Okay. So then we get to the portals. So, again, they've had the weird wolf. They've had these weird crafts that have been hovering above their property, both an oblong shape and then the triangular. And then they've had the weird paranormal, like, poltergeist trickster activity going on where objects are going missing. Now we have portals. <laughs> okay. So the Gormans, they saw this strange, unworldly orange... They call it a structure in the book, um, but it would appear in the sky, in the western sky. Um, sometimes it was flat looking. Other times it looked elongated. And Tom would look through his scope. So he would have his like gun and he'd look through his scope. And he'd see another sky. What? Like the orange object was a window into another world. So it might be dark, and he'd be looking through the scope in this orange glowing structure, and he would see another sky through the orange, like it was a window into another world. So then he, he wondered, was this like some type of alternate reality or a portal to another world? What's going on? One night he watched a black triangular object come out of the orange portal. So he, I wonder if it was that triangular black object that they had both seen him in. Ellen, and it came out of the orange portal, moving quickly before then vanishing. So, what are your thoughts on that? I, oh my God, there's so much to unpack here. I know. I, I, I feel like I'm a skept, skeptic most of the time, and this just sounds absolutely crazy. Mm -hmm. It sounds like these people are have been on acid for like, like, ten years. <laughs> So, it's because like okay so it's not like your regular i saw a flying object in the sky or like that it's like i saw a dire wolf i saw a, a haunt like a haunted rv ufo going across the sky i saw a sasquatch like footprint I saw a portal, like, to another world that I saw, like, a different sun. And then I also saw a object, like, the UFO object coming through the portal. That's, like, five things already that Hold just, on. like, are insane. Just wait. <laughs> but, but, I mean, but what I'm saying is, like, it's too much. It's, like, it's like you just randomized a bunch of paranormal stuff. It's, like, you just clicked randomize on the paranormal stuff and it just loaded everything. <laughs> so here from page 64 of Hunt for the Skinwalker. 
The Gorman homestead was the only vantage point from which the orange structure was perfectly visible. It was like a three-dimensional orange tunnel that receded away from them, and the sides of the tunnel were perfectly camouflaged with the sky. So from a side view, an observer could see nothing at all. The only perspective that afforded a good view into the interior was directly opposite the mouth of the tunnel. For whatever reason, Tom told me the mouth of the tunnel pointed straight at the Gorman homestead. Motorists passing on the roadway a mere mile away could only see a faint, blurry, orange-colored cloud in the sky. Okay, so he has other motorists or like other people saying that they are seeing something. Somewhere. Sounds like it. Are they on record saying that this is occurring? I mean... Because I could say... I'm, I, right, I'm just reading from the book. I know. So. But I could say, like, I saw a UFO in my backyard, but, like, all my neighbors saw it. And then without, like, without any of them saying, so, yeah. on record um, saying, like, I saw it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So let's move on a little bit. Right. Um So in the winter of 1994-95, some other weird things began happening to the cattle. So there, immediately after a severe snowstorm... Um, there was actually a, um, let's see here. One of his breeding cows disappeared in the middle of the snowstorm, which, you know, it's a snowstorm. So, um, okay. Now my hubby has <laughs> decided he's going to drink his box wine. <laughs> You didn't like the cocktail? It was too tart. Oh, I'm sorry. So, you could add more, fine. honey. Okay, so anyway, all that to say, there was a snowstorm and one of the breeding cows disappeared. I could see how this could happen. This could be a rational thing. You have a snowstorm. It could have fell right. into a ridge or something. I don't know. Right. Um. And he even imagined that he that she could have fallen and broken her leg and was maybe slowly freezing to death. I mean, he he was trying to think rationally. That this wasn't just um, some weird, like she just disappeared out of nowhere. Um, let's see here. Also, there were cattle mutilations. So, this is from page 70. Tom's eye caught a glistening in the sun near the animal's head. Okay, so there was an animal that they found on the property. Um, ooh, okay, yeah, this is... So I'm going to go ahead and give a trigger warning here um, because there are mutilated animals, and I know people don't like to hear about this stuff. So first there was a four-year-old cow's reproductive organs and rear end had been carved out. Uh, what? <laughs> Um, then one of the ears had been skillfully removed and right next to the shoulder, a pool of brownish liquid was reflecting the sun on the animal's hide. Is the brownish liquid like something from the animal or is that? He said it smelled and noted a strange chemical odor that he did not recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1996, early 1996, Tom lost two more animals due to mutilation. The carcasses were decaying much more slowly than they should have, given the humidity and the temperature. Um, so things start, yeah, um, escalating pretty quickly. Um, organs were being removed from healthy cattle. 
Mm. And um, usually it's an eye, a tongue, an ear, other repro you know reproductive organs, rear end. It's odd. I, I, yeah, I don't know why. Um, but yeah, so there's the cattle mutilations that begin happening. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about is the orbs. So, um, Tom and Ellen begin seeing these orbs on the property. There's a blue orb that's kind of flying in the tree line. And um, they watched it as it kind of flew through and emerged from the tree line and then slowly flew around the head of one of the horses. Um, so it was flying through, like where kind of, the horses were. Yeah, it was like this blue orb, and it's and it's and it's causing the animal stress. Um, and it's darting mm -hmm. through, or, you know, away from the horses, and um, and it's at an astonishing speed, is what it says. And I know that at one point, Tom gets sick and tired of this crap happening. He is sick and tired of the. Um, these weird objects and orbs and everything on the property. I'm kind of surprised he hasn't called a, like a man of faith at this point. Like a priest or like, you know, whatever. Because I feel like, it, you know, you would literally have like every single paranormal activity that's been documented on one mm -hmm. place and you're just like, yeah, I'm going to just like deal with it. Like, yeah. So. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't think it says anything about that. Now, I will tell you there is a man who shows up. So there's rumors that begin circulating about the strange things that are happening, and there is a stranger who comes up um, on the property, and he says that he wants to meditate. Okay. <laughs> he says that the property <laughs> has powers or whatever, and he wants to meditate. And this is after. This is like the rumors have gone out? Yes. Okay, charge him money then. <laughs> because at this point, okay, at this point, mm -hmm. we are having a situation where this all, like, this is a bunch of crazy stuff. You want to meditate on the property? That's fine. You're paying me at least $100 to do that for at least an hour. <laughs> so, Tom, so here's from page 81. Tom interrupted to reiterate that this is what private property and that neither he nor his family were interested in developing the land as a tourist attraction. So there you go. Oh. The stranger was insistent, even pleading. All he wanted to do, he explained, was to go onto the property and meditate. So he ends up allowing this guy to oh, go and meditate. He could have at least gotten a hundred bucks out of the deal. Hold on. This is the part I think you're really gonna enjoy. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um So this apparently was a tall blonde man. And he's standing silently in the middle of the pastures, and he's closed his eyes, and he's got his arms raised, and he's doing something. And Tom starts to hear cowbell. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. He starts hearing this the chime of a cowbell, which he's puzzled because none of his animals have cowbells. What? <laughs> yeah. So, something... He starts seeing something in the trees, a faint blur. It looks like it's moving very quickly. And he's like, what is that? And he's wondering if it's the source of the sound that he okay. keeps hearing. 
and he watched carefully as the shape moved like a fast blur from tree to tree. It's page 82. It was almost as if it was circling. Tom suddenly felt uneasy. Without warning, something broke from the tree line and moved swiftly toward the meditating man. Tom blinked. He still couldn't see what it was, even though it was broad daylight. It was blurred, as if it was hidden in the middle of heat distortion, and it was covering ground at enormous speed. Gorman realized that this Chimara was making a beeline for the blissful meditation. Chimara? What the fuck? <laughs> Chimara? I think that's how you pronounce it. Completely unaware of what was going on. So then the guy's meditating. He's completely unaware of what's going on. Tom is about to yell to give a warning, but it's too late. The shimmering, wraith-like, huge thing had stopped just inches from the meditator as it let out a deep-throated animal roar that echoed around the ranch. The roar sounded like a bear, like half bear, half lion. Tom froze. The stranger leapt back about 10 feet and fell down. He began screaming. As fast as it had approached, the shimmering, almost invisible creature departed from the tree line at top speed. Okay. Hold, so what does hold, that, what does that remind on. you of? Okay, what does that all, remind you of? First of all, okay, I'm calling fucking bullshit. <laughs> because a Chamara is a... I, I had to look it up to make sure that I had my mythical creatures correct. Um, that it's a fire-breathing female monster with a lion's head, goat's body, and a serpent's tail. Why is that in fucking Utah? Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> but so, you know what I, what, what I thought of when I read this? Right. The fucking predator. Oh, shit. This is the predator. <laughs> because it's, no, but it's like a blur and it's moving through the tree line. And he calls it again, listen shimmering wraith-like huge thing that reminds me of when he's in his stealth mode predators like his, and... his cloaked yes mode? yes and he's like moving through the trees and you see this like blur what the fuck man like did these people just watch predator 2 maybe like... i don't know it says oh and sometime later so this is 83 page 83 sometime later as tom and tad were watching the movie predator oh in well which come arnold on. schwarzenegger <laughs> and jesse ventura battle an alien life like they life later were in watching. a jungle in central america okay. they let out a loud yell when they first saw the shimmering creature that's what we saw they yelled in unison okay. to the astonished okay. family okay okay they watched prior before this they made that <laughs> shit up that is not that cannot be real for what purpose for what purpose i i Okay, I'm having a hard time, like, di like, dissecting in my brain what is real and what is not with this Skinwalker Ranch. And the reason why I'm saying that is because you're saying that every single fucking paranormal thing that ever has, like, quote-unquote existed in the realm of folklore and it's, it's just at this point, like, at this area... Mm -hmm. But then you're telling me a fucking predator is there, and then you're like, oh, yeah, we watched Predator later. And we were like, oh, yeah, that's what we saw. No, that's bullshit. Like, you saw, you watched Predator, you went outside, you probably were drunk as fuck, or you're like, you know, on something. And you saw, like, a like a thing, and this guy was meditating, and you're like, oh, no, it's Predator. Okay, again, I have no reason to believe that these people are lying. Okay? <sighs> I, this I, is This is a book written by scientists. I understand. They are that. retelling information from a family who did not really make a profit from this story. I, I get okay? that. I get that. I have to take what they say at face value. No, I understand that. What I'm saying is, is like you can't have 
it's really hard for me to believe that that specific story. Okay. Because that specific story sounds a complete bullshit. See, here's what I think. Okay, what do you think? I think that we sometimes manifest things into existence. Well, I want to manifest a thousand, like, like not a thousand. I'm going to manifest a million dollars. Okay, you do that, babe. So manifest that. Anyway, all I'm saying is sometimes when you, so there is, I've heard this before. Sometimes when you look into the darkness, the darkness looks back. That makes sense. So I sometimes think that when we create creatures, when we create monsters, when we create demons, whatever, when we um, when we put this out in the media, that sometimes this this evil entity, whatever mm. exists, okay, because if there's good, there's also got to be bad. Right. This evil entity uses those forms to scare people. Well. So I hold on. That's concerning so saying, considering I write horror like short stories. So all I'm saying is <laughs> sometimes these things it's okay. You want to hear a perfect example? I would love to hear a perfect example, my my love. Okay. What's one of my favorite movies? <laughs> oh shit. I mean there's like a million of them. I have I know. Okay, one of my favorite horror movies. Again, there's a million of them. I could pick any of them. Okay, um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Okay, I'll just yes, make it easy you for you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay, so you know how Wes Craven created the the um, monster that is Freddy Krueger? Yeah. And then in Wes Craven's New Nightmare, it is like a kind of meta film where you have the actress who's playing herself yes, as the Heather actress. Lin- Heather, yes, and she begins to have all these weird things happen to her that are Freddy Krueger. Yeah. But it's not actually uh, the actor who plays Freddy Krueger. It's, yeah, it's Robert England. Yeah, it's not actually him. It's something more evil. It's something darker. Right. Demonic. Okay. So it's using the form of Freddy Krueger to scare her and and try and, like, you know, yeah, I mean, it, 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 throughout the whole film, it's trying to scare her, it's trying to get her so, son, and it's trying to... So, so what's the connection between manif- that and... So it's, it's because Wes Craven has, like, manifested this, he's created this, and so he's, you know, in the movie, he's... Sorry, spoiler alert, guys. Um, if it's he, like a... It, that he's movie like, is like in the 90s, like the two Well, I know, 90s. but if people haven't seen it, <laughs> watch it, it's good. But Wes Craven's, like, writing the script, and it's right. coming to life, right? Yeah. As he's writing yes. it. So what did that have to do with Skywalker, then? Or Sky, not Skywalker... Skinwalker. Gosh, babe. <laughs> um, but all I'm saying is these things that are happening on this property, are they being um, manifested in some way? Like you, like these people see this entity and they're like, oh, the predator. Like, you know, was it using that form? Because it existed oh, okay. in, in media. It existed as a, and so it was using that form to scare. So you're thinking that this is like a situation where like whatever is there on the ranch is like a more of like a, a morphic type of thing where it, it uses it, it, it will it will mold itself into what it needs to be yeah. in order to scare or or at, at its at its need right so like it's an amorphic thing so like it's like whatever entity again it the is. trickster element too yeah it's like okay so it's loki could be, it's Loki. Could That's be Loki. Go. It's Loki. Could be Loki. Okay, one it's last one last story I wanted to tell. This is now this is gonna be part one of Skinwalker Ranch because for part two I'm gonna delve into the actual scientific research that had been conducted um, by Robert Bigelow and his contractors. 
on the property that was actually funded by taxpayer money. Um, but for now, the last story that's I wanted to... taxpayer money as Well, in, in the early 2000s, yes. Uh, or 1990... I think they sold the property in 96. Okay. But real quick, one, one story I want to tell you before... Um, so, it was an April evening in 1996. Tom was sitting outside. Okay. Okay. And you remember that blue orb? Yes. Okay, so... Let's see. There was a lot going on this night. He had seen some objects flying about out of these orange things. And then he saw the blue orb. It was perfectly round, intense blue orb. Bigger than a baseball. Incapable of very sophisticated, intelligent, intelligent maneuvers. This is on page 85. So he'd seen them so many times on his property. He was just done. He was sick of it. He was tired of it. So I guess bef he had he had dogs on the property and he never allowed the dogs to go after these things. Okay. They were barking wildly and everything was going on. But he decides, you know what? I'm just going to let the dogs loose. I'm just going to let them go after this damn thing. Oh. I'm sick of it. I'm sick and tired of this. And so he set the three dogs off at top speed in the direction of the blue orb. Okay. Not the best idea, I feel like, but, you no. know, you do you. Mm -mm. The dogs were leaping at the object. They were snarling and their jaws were snapping. And each time the object, the orb, skillfully moved out of the way. Okay. So, obviously, the dogs were getting angry because they couldn't get this thing, right? right. It was enraging them. Right. And Tom got worried because of what was going on. And so the object actually moved into the trees and the dogs i guess went after it they gave chase okay page 85 into 86 ready yeah i'm ready suddenly gorman heard sounds that chilled him to the bone the unmistakable fear-filled yelps of dogs in mortal agony you lost your dogs man then in eerie silence nothing moved Tom waited for his animals to return. After a couple of hours, he went into the homestead with a heavy heart. He decided not to look for them until morning. His worst fears were realized when he found the following morning to inspect the copse, the copse of trees. Cop? I think that's right. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. This gin is getting me. A smell of burned <laughs> flesh. Listen, a smell of burned flesh greeted his nostrils as he dipped his head beneath the low branches. Ten yards inside was a small clearing. Tears filled Tom's eyes. Three large circles of brown dried out grass were in the middle were in the middle of the clearing. At the center of each circle of shriveled vegetation was a blackish greasy mess. The stink of his incinerated dogs the fuck? was awful. So yeah. Hurley don't listen. He found um, his dogs. They had been incinerated. Um, and at that point, Tom had had enough. So he actually decided to, um, by July of that year, he had had enough. This is 1996. So he decided to go to the newspapers. Um, the so, page 86. The story of the Gorman Ranch had hit the newspapers, and it was ricocheted around the country. It wasn't long before it caught the attention of one of the most powerful businessmen in North America and his organization, 
the National Institute for Discovery Science. And that's where we're going to leave it today, tonight. We are going to have part two of Skinwalker Ranch next week. And we, we will dive into Robert Bigelow and the National Institute for Discovery Science, also known as NIDS, and um, their scientific research into the property that is known as Skinwalker Ranch. So listeners, what do you think is happening on Skinwalker Ranch? Yeah. Do you believe that there are portals to other worlds potentially opening up over the Utah Basin? Uinta. Uinta Basin. <laughs> so let us know what you think. Email us at contactspiritedspirits at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Spirited Spirits and Instagram at Spirited underscore Spirits underscore podcast. Yes, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And if you have any other ideas of other topics, um, we're always looking for the future, future topics to cover. Um, please do email us. We'd love to hear from you. And we hope you'll continue to listen each week as we talk about spirits while we sip on spirits. Bye. Bye.